So today, we're kicking off I Like Giving. We're going to meet. I'm in a connect group that meets tonight. We're going to meet and talk about this. So it's weird when you talk about your own sermon. Or you hear other people talk about your sermon in front of you. That's weird. But we're going to start with being generous with your thoughts. How many of you know everything that you do originates right here? It all starts right here. It all starts with that piece of thing in your skull. It all starts right here. So that's what we're going to deal with first. How to be generous with this first. Amen? Matthew chapter 5 verse 21. We're going to start there. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there's a and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready for this one. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray. God, we pray it every week and we believe it that when we look into it, it can change the way we think and in turn change what we do. So our prayer is the same today. Because we met together, because we're looking into your word, because we are going to look into it tonight and all through the week. God, I pray that you transform our thoughts. When you transform our thoughts, it will change what we do. It will change the people around us. We pray that you do that in and through us today. And it's Jesus' mighty name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Jesus is starting his public ministry. He is... um, he has been baptized. He's been out in the wilderness for 40 days, led there by the Spirit. He's been tempted by the devil. He comes out of all that, and he begins his public ministry of teaching, teaching and healing. And here we pick up in Matthew chapter 5, the most famous sermon he ever gave. It was a long one. All famous sermons are long. This will not be famous today. We have a time schedule to keep. This sermon was long to the point that if there were people doing childcare, they would be in the back screaming, when's he going to finish? He covers all kinds of topics. Some of the most quotable things Jesus ever said were found right here in this sermon. It's typically called the Sermon on the Mount. You find the Beatitudes in there. There's nine blessed are those that... We all like to put ourselves in one of those categories, don't we? You may not be meek, but you could find one. He also teaches the Lord's Prayer in this sermon. 
he, uh, he goes up on the top of a mountain, and, and the Bible says the disciples follow him up there, and he just begins to teach them. But I'm always curious how preachers start out their sermons, because it's important. He covers everything. Like, this is a meandering sermon. This is weaving in and out of all kinds of different topics. And, and it probably wouldn't go over well today because people, because when, when they teach you how to preach, they want you to preach one thing. People can't remember more than one thing. And I said, well, that's foolishness. But he meanders all over the place. But I love where he starts because he starts in a place that is the foundation for everything else he's going to say. He starts with letting everybody in the crowd know that's important what you think. And he does it in these two illustrations. He says, you've heard it said to those of old, all the way back, the two things that he's going to talk about are all go all the way back to the Old Testament, go all the way back to the Ten Commandments. The thou shalt not. Do you know those? So the two things he's going to talk about here go all the way back to the Ten Commandments. He says, listen, you've, you've, heard, it told to the, you've heard the old people talk about this. All the old people. Jesus did, just did one of those. You've heard all the old people talk about this. He says, you already know that if you commit murder, then you're susceptible to judgment. You already know that. Now, I do want to make sure you understand that the word used for murder here is not the same as killing an animal to eat. It's not the same as war. It, it means premeditated murder. Everybody on the same boat. Premeditated murder. He said, you've heard it said all the way back when we first started making up rules that you can't murder somebody and escape judgment. Judgment is coming for the murderer. What he does is he flips that concept on its head. Because I'm sure everybody in the crowd was going, yeah, we know that. I never killed nobody. Until he says, if you have hate in your heart for your brother, you're liable of the same judgment. I know I'm the pastor. I know I'm held to a higher standard. I know that I, I, I know that I should be better than I am. But before I got saved, I hated somebody. I got saved again last week. <laughs> Jesus, all of a sudden, but, but, wait, maybe, you've, maybe you're really good. Maybe you never hate anybody. Let, let, let's move on to the second one before I, I move on because the second one, the second one makes us uncomfortable. He moves from hate to adultery. And he says, you've heard the old people talk about, you shouldn't commit adultery. And everybody in the crowd's like, oh yeah, that's bad. That's bad. Having an affair with another man's wife, that's no, no, no. Nobody does that. Jesus says, but I'm here to tell you that if you lust after another man's wife, you have already committed adultery. And I already know what every man in the, on that mountainside did. They all went. He's talking to you. Over, he's talking to you. I know what we talked about yesterday. He's talking to you. Now, can, 
as a frame of reference, just so I can figure out, because we have a lot of visitors that come in and, and a lot of new people in the church. Can I just get a frame of reference? Under those circumstances, how many of you have actually guilty of murder and adultery? Could you raise your, could you raise? No? No takers? Um, so here, so just to loosen things up a bit, can I, can I just give a directive to all the connect group leaders? Don't make that your first question. Like when you're meeting throughout the week this week, don't say, all right, how many of you are guilty of adultery? And I'm like, really? Who's not? We should ask that question. Who's not guilty of adultery? And if you raise your hand, everybody's like, now we all hate you, and now we're murderers. <laughs> Jesus was actually making a connection that it's not just what you do that is sinful. It can also be what you think. That causes sin, that, that is sinful. He said, you can actually think sinful thoughts. Now, now we're in new territory. Because, because here's the deal. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were really good at acting righteous. Heard a comedian say one time, he said, man, I've been taking acting lessons since I was a little kid. He said, my mom used to slap me on the back of the head and say, act like you got some sense. We've been acting like we got some sense, but isn't it the grace of God that nobody else can read your thoughts or the acting career would be over. Jesus at the beginning of the sermon on the Mount says, I'm going to do something you're not used to. Now I'm going to link your thoughts to sin just as much as your actions. So if you hate somebody, you're just as guilty as a murderer. Now, in our modern-day relativism, we would go, whoa, 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 I mean, come on, it's just a thought. But how many of you know that nothing you have ever done has, has happened without the original thought? There's no defense in front of a judge standing there going, judge, I don't know, I just, I was in Walmart, and they were taking too long to self-checkout, and I slapped them, my, my hand slapped them, and I didn't even realize I did it. My hand's been frustrated lately with self-checkout, and I've been trying to have conversations with my hand, but my hand has a mind of its own. So when they took too long to self-checkout, I just slapped them. Actually, I didn't do it, judge, my hand did it. I wasn't even thinking about slapping them. I was thinking about ice cream, and my hand just went up and went, whack! And I said, why'd you do that? Because they're taking... That's never been a real defense. Although when you were a kid, it would have been awesome. Why'd you punch your brother in the mouth? I didn't. My hand did. My hand thinks my brother's stupid. That's never been a defense because everybody knows that what you do originates in what you think. Everybody knows that what you do originates with what you think. So Jesus now at the beginning of his public ministry, makes the link between what people are doing. It's important, but what you're thinking is just as important. Because if you can think a sinful thought, then that's just as important as what is keeping track of what you're doing. Amen? So it was a culture then of acting like you were righteous and maybe thinking something else. You've all done it. What do you think about those people? Oh, I mean, they're great. Why are you twitching? No, they're great. And you're saying it through the gritting of your teeth. Because God has given us the unbelievable ability to do something 
yet have an opposing thought while you're doing it. Mm. I don't look like I hate you, but I actually do. I've been to family reunions. I know how all of you operate. So he says, no, no, no. You can't just act like, you can't just not murder somebody. Now you have to not hate them as well. Mm. It's not good enough just not to have an affair. Your mind can't be consumed with lust either. Oh, come on. Somebody say amen. In our culture, somebody say amen. So he makes these two he makes this link between not just what you do being associated with sin, but what you think being associated with sin. So here's some things we got to get cleared up. We're going to talk about giving generous, being generous with our thoughts, but some things we got to clear up before we can get there. Some things we got to look at your neighbor and say, we got to clear, clear some things up. All right, watch this. What Jesus just told us is that your thoughts matter. Your thoughts matter. Every thought matters. I wrote it like this. Thoughts are the highway builders of your mind. The thoughts you allow to repeat will build the fastest and most reliable roads in your head. I've been in some countries that have terrible roads. And you have to drive slow. And it's almost like a relief when you get on one that's built well and you can drive fast. So here's how it works. Your brain is really good at making these shortcut things. And I've talked a lot about this over the years because it's how we're wired. It's one of the beauties that God did when he created our brains. And so it works like this. And I've used this illustration a ton of times, but it's really important. Anybody remember the first time you drove a car? White knuckled. I've been driving a straight stick car since I was like 12 years old. But when my dad took me to get my learner's permit, we went downtown, I passed the test. He had a 1983 Mercury Cougar. It took two people to open up the door. You remember those two-door cars? We drive straight downtown on Queen Street, and he said, park there. He wanted me to parallel park it. I'm like, I'm 15. Park there. And with my dad, you, if he said park there, you park there. If you have to move the other car, you park there. We parked downtown the other day. I think we parked in Morgantown yesterday. I think I did it like Michael Jordan shooting a free throw. I think I did it with my eyes closed. I looked over at my son. I said, watch this. <laughs> 16 years old, I was just like, don't hate the old man. I don't even need parking assistance. That's for people not as good as me. Why can I do that? Because I've parallel parked a million times. Because I drive a big, giant truck that you have to pay attention. So you, you, get, you, you don't have to think about how far you pull up. You don't have to think about when you, when you counter steer. You don't have to think about anything. You just do it. Anybody realize? You can ride down the road, eat a, eat a Big Mac, change your clothes, send a text message, and be totally fine. You're like, I don't know about all these distracted drivers. I'm not even thinking about driving. (laughs) So easy. Why is that? Because your brain made a highway to all the things necessary to drive a car. That's how you could drive from point A to point B and not realize how you got there. 
Because you don't have to think about it. Your brain made a super fast Autobahn highway where, where things are just popping. It becomes a reaction. You don't have to think about it. So that's the way God wires you to operate. So the thoughts that you think about the most are the ones that build the highways. Oh, you better write that down. You're going to get quizzed on that this week. The thoughts that you think about the most are the ones building the highways in your brain. Look at your neighbor and say, you're in trouble. I've lived with you long enough. Your thoughts were in pathways that produce attitudes and behaviors. Whatever you think about consistently is what's creating the road in your brain. So they call them neurological pathways. Or the, so what happens is you do stuff over, you think stuff over and over and over and over and over again. And then before you know it, you don't think about it anymore. You don't have to because there's been a shortcut made to it. It becomes a reaction. That's why when a boxer trains, he doesn't have to think about ducking out of the way. He just knows the punch is coming. It's crazy. I was, uh, we were at middle school. I think our, one of our kids was, we're doing a middle school orientation. And there's this guy I knew, there's a professional boxer. He's much smaller than me. And, and he used to punch me all the time. Couldn't figure out why you keep punching me. I'm not a boxer. It hurts. So we're walking down the hall. We're walking down the hallway. He's got his kid on this side. I got my kid on this side. We're getting ready to pass each other. And you know what I thought? It was a, it was a, it was a inspiration from God. I thought I'm gonna stick him, and he's not even gonna see it coming. That's what your pastor thought. So we're walking down the hallway. I'm trying to be nonchalant, and I thought I'm gonna get this guy. I went like this, and spider sensors. He just reached out and grabbed my hand. He went, "Don't do that." I thought you must have known last week that I was going to punch you. I didn't even know. I, I got my hand up this far. I went, and he went, don't do that. I thought, well, how did, he didn't even have to think about it anymore. He knows when people are going to hit him. It's just he's done it so much. So your brain is creating these shortcuts over and over and over and over again. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you think about hate enough, that's what you're going to think about without thinking about it. If you think about jealousy enough, that's what you're going to think about without thinking about it. If you think about anxiety enough, that's what you're going to think about without even having to think about it because it wears the path in your brain. So it's like having, it's like having a section of woods in your backyard. If you walk through it one time, nobody would know you walked through it. If you walk through it a thousand times, they'll see the path. So it's the same way in your house. If I come in your house, I don't care where you put the furniture. I know where you walk. I can look at the carpet. I can look at the carpet. And if you move your furniture trying to cover it up, or if you do the vacuum thing, try to put the little lines in it, I, I still know. You've walked, you've worn the path in. That's why we got hardwood. You can't pattern me. First John 2, 7 says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time as the new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. He says it doesn't matter what you say and do if you still hate them. 
He says, you're still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Jesus is linking thoughts to sin and blessing. It's not just actions that are sinful anymore. It's actually our thoughts that get us, can get us tripped up. And he's doing this at the beginning because he knows that all actions get their, get their origin from what you think. So he wants you to, he wants you to create good pathways in your brain. He wants you to create shortcuts to good thoughts. He wants you to create shortcuts to, to grace and to mercy. He wants you to create shortcuts to good things. Amen. Can I just let you in a little secret? Nobody's out to get you. The devil's out to get you, but the person at Walmart is not. It's so funny. We're driving, we, we, we drive down the road and, and, and somebody's on their phone texting and they swerve into your lane and we're like, they're trying to kill me. No, they're not. They're doing the same thing you're doing, only you just haven't swerved yet. Nobody's out to get get us. We have to change the way we think. Thoughts matter. Jesus is saying, what you think about can be just as sinful as what you're doing. So, point two. Thoughts can have a mind of their own. (laughs) You ever thought about something and you went, whoa, how did I start thinking about that? Because once the highway is built, it's hard to dig up. Once the highway is built, it's hard to dig up. So this is the, this is the deal. This is why you're mad just because you heard they were showing up. They didn't do anything yet. You just heard they were showing up to the party. And you're like, well, I mean, there, there goes the party. Why? Well, I mean, they're going to be here. Did they do something beforehand? No. Have they done anything at the party that hasn't happened yet? No, I just know them. I'm mad already. Matter of fact, I might not even go. It's your mother. I know. (laughs) I got all of you right there. You're like, oh, he's talking about that. Thoughts have a mind of their own. We build the road and the devil puts the gas in the car. We build the road. We just keep thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And then all he has to do is, and you just, whoa, man, a shortcut. Why are you doing that? Just upset. Can't trust anybody. Why? We made a shortcut to it. Made a shortcut to anxiety. Made a shortcut to fretting. Made a shortcut to anger. Made Made a shortcut to lust. Made a shortcut. Made a shortcut to everything. Because what we continually think about takes on a mind of its own. That's why, and I've told you this before. Do you know your brain will make a shortcut and it will shortcut out common sense? It's actually a physiological thing that happens in your head. There's there's parts of your brain that if you think about nonsense long enough, it will block common sense in your prefrontal cortex. It'll block it. It'll go, this party is common sense free. You've heard me say, that's why people don't get on elevators. 
I had somebody in my youth group one time. We, I mean, we stayed at sketchy hotels when we were, because, I mean, it was a small youth group. We didn't have any money. So we did stay at a sketchy hotel, but no kid ever got trapped in an elevator. I swear. More than once. <laughs> Nobody ever got trapped in an elevator. But what happened was I would have these kids that would say, man, I'm not getting on an elevator. Why? They ain't safe. Since when? So we have, so when we burn these shortcuts into our brain by thinking contrary to the word of God, it actually eliminates common sense from your vocabulary. Everybody's out to get me. No, they're not. Look at your neighbor and say, no, they're not. Your kids aren't out to get you. If they, if, if they leave, if, if they don't dump the trash, it wasn't on purpose. Your kids didn't wake up in the morning and go, hey, if you don't dump the trash, I won't make the bed, and you don't mow the grass, we got them. <laughs> That's not how it works. Your husband is not trying to ruin your life when he leaves his underwear by the bed. He didn't wake up in the morning and go, hey, son, watch how your mom blows up when I don't pick up my underwear. That's not what's going through his head. He's just lazy. Don't clap for that. That's terrible. But when your thoughts have minds of their own, that's where you go with it. Now all of a sudden they're out to get me. Now all of a sudden they're doing it on purpose. Now all of a sudden I'm the target. It's irrational. If you hate your brother, it's the same as murder. If you let your mind run wild, it could be the most sinful part of your body. Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, but the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You didn't, mis- you didn't misspeak. You said it because that's what you were thinking. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a, I didn't mean to say that. It was a, I didn't mean to let it co- what I was thinking come out. Amen? Out of the abundance of what we think produces what we say and do. Out of the abundance of what we think either produces fear in our life or faith in our life. Out of the abundance of what we think either produces love or produces hate. Out of the abundance of what we think either produces purity or produces lust. There's no middle ground. You can't walk through 40 years of your life and go, I wasn't thinking anything. We're all making the shortcuts over day after day after day. And, and what happens is, is the shortcut takes on a mind of its own. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, the lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's saying your thoughts take on a mind of their own. You got to be careful with them. So what's the next thing we got to do? We got to dig up that road. We got to do the hard work of digging up the road. I know you're thinking, oh, he's going to tell me I got to go to counseling. No, I'm not. No, I'm not telling you you got to go to counseling. I'm saying you got to get into the word of God. 
Get into the word of God. Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 9, verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He said, I know where all this stuff starts and I got to be the master of my own thoughts and actions. So if I have to master my own thoughts and actions, then I need to take what I'm thinking and compare it with what scripture says. Because the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth, ah, the truth will dig up the road for you. When you've worn in the pathway to anxiety, when you've worn in the pathway to negative thoughts towards other, when you've worn in the pathway and you're stingy with good thoughts towards other people, when you've worn in the pathway, truth will dig up the road for you. Truth will plant more grass on it. Truth will make it so the pathway disappears. Truth will give you a different shortcut. Truth. Truth. So he says, I have to discipline my body. I know what's right. I have to discipline this flesh. I know, I know when I'm not thinking right. Because what? Why? Because I know the truth. Second Corinthians. His second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and even lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every and take every thought captive to obey the truth. Jesus and the truth are one and the same. There is no, there is no distinction between them. They're, 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 they're inextricably linked together. You can't take the truth away from Jesus and you can't take Jesus away from the truth. It's not possible. If you say Jesus, it is the truth. So he's saying that we take every thought captive to the obedience of what's true. So if I'm having a thought before I allow it to to build a road in my head before I allow it to build the Autobahn, before I allow it to burn a path in the woods in my brain, I will compare it to the truth and see how it matches up. (laughs) Some of you are like, well, this is going to take all day. It matters. We have to be the ones to do the hard work of changing the way we think. So slow down and compare what you're thinking to Scripture. But let me tell you something. If you don't know the truth, it can't set you free. Don't compare it to Dr. Phil at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's not the truth. He may say some good things, but it ain't the truth. So what do we have to do? We have to take the feelings that we're feeling, the thoughts that we're thinking, and be wise enough to slow down and go, Hey, Lord, I'm having that thought about that person right now, and it's real. I feel validated about it. I feel... My thoughts are telling me that I should feel justified to think this way. I'm going to look into your word and find out if that's true. Use Google for God's sake. Type in, should I hate this person? Scripture. You know what you're going to find? Do good to those that persecute you. The problem is that doesn't jive with what we're thinking. If you're justified... You've already think you've worked out the truth. But Jesus came into a group of people and went, oh, 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 oh. that thing that you think you know isn't what you think you know. Because it's not just what you do, it's what you think. So we need to do the hard work of digging up the road. And that causes us to go back into scripture and compare what we're thinking with what God said. So asked 
God to give you a heart like his, to give you thoughts like his. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They say it at every wedding. Every wedding. Watch this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have away, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. The first three verses of chapter 13 talk about action. If I do this, but don't have love, it's pointless. If I do this, don't have love, it's pointless. If I offer up my body to be burned and I don't have love, it's pointless. If I give everything I have away, but I don't have love, it's pointless. He's talking about actions that you do. And then he switches in verse four. Paul's writing this in his first letter. Love is patient. You're like, all right, I'm done. You don't have to read any further. Patience always starts where? Here. Have you ever tried to make a two-year-old be patient? Well, I'm going to teach you patience. You're going to sit in this chair for the next 10 minutes. They'll eat the chair out right out from under them. Like, what are you doing? I, I don't know. I, I, I can't sit here. Patience starts where? It starts right here. With telling yourself, I don't have to be, I don't have to be so anxious about this. I don't have to rush this. I don't have to be still and know that I'm God. That's the truth. I don't have to be so impatient about everything. So he says, love is patient and it's kind. It does not envy. Where does envy? James tells us the reason we fight with each other physically is because of what our minds desire. We're not getting what we want. So what we think affects what we do. And the sin starts with what we think. Amen. So we're going to compare what we think to scripture. Are my thoughts in line with what love looks like. I should be more patient with the people around me. I should be more kind to the people around me. I should not think envious thoughts or boastful thoughts with the people around me. I should not be arrogant with the people around me or rude. I should not insist on my own way. I shouldn't be irritable or resentful. I shouldn't be happy about when other people do wrong things. I should rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So I got to ask myself, how do my thoughts line up with the definition of love? How do what I'm thinking on a regular basis about other people line up with the truth about what love is? Paul said, you can keep writing checks to people and hate them. I could give away everything I got and not have the right thought. I can, I, can, I can sacrifice my body and still have hate. He says, because what you do isn't necessarily just a reflection of what you're thinking. And love starts right here. So we have to take hold of that thought and compare it to scripture and create a new highway. Amen? So I want to teach you how to do this. Are you ready? We're going to wrap it up right here. I'm going to give you four practical ways, four practical ways to start being more generous with your thoughts in 2020. Are you ready? Now that we all know that we're murderers and adulterers, let's, let's turn the ship. Let's turn the ship. Okay. Number one, 
believe the best about people. Believe the best about people. Did, I, did you hear me say it again? Believe the best about people. Believe the best. If somebody comes to you with a rumor about somebody else, go, I don't know if I believe that. Why would you believe it right off the bat? Just, just choose to believe the best about people. It's so freeing. Amen? It's so freeing. What did Paul say love does? It believes all things and hopes all things. It doesn't, believes all things does not mean it believes all rumors. It believes the best about people. It hopes in every situation for people. So we start being more generous with our thoughts. You know what? I'm going to believe the best about you. I don't care what people say. Oh, did you hear the such and such? Did you hear the such? Oh, you, 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 you know what? I choose to believe the best about him. I talk to our staff all the time. I talk to the people we lead all the time about, listen, the way to make this easier for all of us is just believe good about, just believe the best about people. Don't entertain any other thoughts. So when you believe the best about people, the second thing, the second thing is awesome. Stop assigning motives to other people. <laughs> Just by a show of hands, is there anyone that can actually read minds in here? Is there anyone? Is there anyone? Anyone tell me what you're, what I'm thinking right now. Tell me what I'm thinking right now. Anybody would like to stand up and give an exhibition? No one can read minds but Jesus. And it was so awesome. He would get in front of a bunch of teachers of the law and Pharisees and they would say something and the Bible would say, knowing their thoughts, he said this. Some people say, I just want to stand in front of Jesus. I'm like, I don't. He knows what I'm thinking. Nobody else does. That would weird me out because I would say, man, you know what? I love them. And he would go, no, you don't. No, really, I do, Jesus. No, you don't. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm going to try to be really nice so he thinks I love them, but you really don't love them. He knew their thoughts. But guess what? He was the only one that could do that. No one else can. But you know what we do a lot? We assign motives to people and we don't actually know. People all the time come up to me. Hey, do you know why they did that? Nope. They probably hate you. (laughs) Does that make you feel any better? They probably just hate your rotten guts. No, I start telling people, no, I don't know why they did it. I'm not trying to figure out why they did it. They did it. We can have a conversation about what they did. I'm not going to assign motives to why they did it. I don't think they hate me. I don't think they're trying to ruin the whole thing. I don't think that's happening. Something just happened. Let's talk about what happened. Why would I waste my time assigning motives to somebody when I don't know their thoughts? It helps me to think better about people if I don't try to figure out why they did it. I'm not an investigator. I'm a pastor. Neither are you. So just say, you know what? I, tend, I just choose to think the best about you and I don't have enough time to assign motive why you did what you did. The third thing, realize everyone is in the process. No one has arrived. No one's arrived. No one's arrived. Look around the room. Ain't none of us got there yet. We're still breathing, and if we're still breathing, there's still work to be done. There's still improvements to be made. There's still there's still changes we have to make. So if I walk into the scenario knowing that you have to make improvements and I have to make improvements, that I can give everybody some space. I can think better about you because I know you're not the final product yet. 
So you can think better about me because you know this isn't it for me. As long as I have breath, God is still continuing to work in me and work in me and work in me. And you go, you know, I'm going to give that preacher a little slack. I'm going to just give him a little slack because I know God's not done. Obviously, God's not done with him yet. And so when we realize that every, this is one of our core values. When we realize everybody's in the process, Paul himself, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, at the end of his life say, not that I have attained all this, but one thing I do, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus. So he said, I'm not there yet. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't figured it all out. Give me some grace. So we can think better about people when we know that it's not the final product yet. Wouldn't it make you feel better if you knew everybody was, could get a little bit better? Just give them a little grace. You're really annoying now, but I know God's doing amazing things in your life. So I'm gonna give you some grace. I'm gonna think better about you. I'm gonna not assign motives. All right, the last thing, stand to your feet. This is one, I, I wrote this statement right here. Empathy is a condemned room in the modern brain. Did you hear that? Empathy is a condemned room in the modern brain nobody even goes to anymore. Nobody is empathetic for anything. Somebody could be having a bad day, do something accidentally on the interstate or somewhere, and the first thing happens, the, the middle finger of empathy. We're not patient with people. We can't empathize with people. If somebody's walking through somewhere, just like, hey, man, get over it. We're gonna, we're gonna, come on, man, what's your problem? Our, our society is, is becoming less empathetic the longer we live. And what Jesus showed us was if you're going to care for somebody, have good thoughts to them, you have to be able to associate with their grief. You have to be able to associate with their pain. You have to be able to associate with their emotions. And he does that as an example for us. The, the death of Lazarus, he shows up and the Bible says he was two things. He was angry and weeping. I started to ask myself, why would the creator of all the universe who knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead even be angry and weep? I would have showed up and be like, dude, what's y'all's problem? I'm going to raise him from the dead. Chill out. He was empathizing with the people around him. People were angry that, that Lazarus died. And what did Jesus do? He displayed anger at the same thing. I am so sick of death and how it has this destructive property on this earth. I'm sick of sin. And then the Bible says that they were weeping and the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He had empathy for the people around him. And that is the pathway to think good things about people. If I can associate with what they're walking through, amen, if I don't just write them off, if I can be empathetic towards them, say, man, I might not understand what you're going through right now, but I'm here for you. I want to listen. I want to, I want to understand. I want to empathize with you. And in 2020, I want us to be those people. I want to be the people that think the best, that don't assign motives, that realize people are in the process. And I want us to be empathetic with people. Amen. Can we do that together this year? Can we just be generous with our thoughts towards others? Father, we thank you this morning. God, you, this was all you. This is, this is how you operate. While we were sinners, you were thinking about how to redeem us. You, that's all that you contemplated. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you showed us how to do this. We thank you, God, that we have the power to take every thought captive. We thank you for it. And we pray that you'd enable us to do that this week. And the weeks come, we pray that we build 
new generous highways in our brains and think good things about other people. Thank you for this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Come on, could you give him honor and praise? He's good, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, give somebody a good thought on the way out. You can be generous and we'll see you back here next week.